0: Support for this podcast comes from Outdoor Supply Hardware, inviting listeners to Osh's big anniversary sale celebration May 20th through the 26th, featuring daily deals, $15,000 in giveaways, 20% off store-wide on Saturday and Sunday, and a lot more. Learn more at Osh.com.
1: Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment, and if you love what you're hearing,
2: From KQED, from KQED in San Francisco, I'm Mina Kim. Coming up on Forum, do you use Google as your search engine? The federal government says that's probably because Google spends more than $10 billion a year to maintain its monopoly control over online search, cutting deals with smartphone makers to be their default search engine, and stifling competition in the process. But in a DC courtroom yesterday, Google defended itself, saying people choose their search providers and can switch their default search engine with a few easy clicks. We take a closer look at what's being called the most consequential antitrust trial in decades, and what's at stake for Google, other tech companies, and consumers. Join us. Welcome to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. The trial that's being called the most consequential antitrust case of the modern Internet era began in a D.C. courtroom yesterday. The U.S. versus Google will hash out whether Google's dominance as a search engine is because of illegal deals it made with Apple and other smartphone makers to be the default search provider, as the federal government and 38 states and territories argue, or because it's a superior product people choose, as Google contends. What do you think? Have you tried to use something other than Google, like Bing or DuckDuckGo, for your online searches? Have you ever wondered why you use Google as your search engine? Joining me now is Sheila Kolhatkar, New Yorker staff writer, who covers Silicon Valley and Wall Street, economics and politics. Sheila, thanks so much for being with us. It's Great to be here. So could you break down what the government is arguing in court, what its main allegations against Google are?
3: According to the government's complaint, Google accounts for nearly 90% of general search engine queries in the US. So, as a starting point, if that isn't a monopoly, I don't know what is. Um, And the government goes on to, to say that because of this enormous percentage the company holds of all searches people do online, it is effectively serving as a gatekeeper to the internet. It is the portal through which most people are accessing internet content. Part of the way they are maintaining this position is by making uh, very lucrative financial arrangements with companies uh, that make smartphones like Apple, Samsung, and Motorola, and with wireless carriers like AT&T and Verizon, and other companies that develop web browsers like Mozilla, uh, and You know, through these contracts with these companies, they're making these companies promise to install Google as the default search engine on all of their products and all of the access points where a consumer might have an opportunity to search. And because the company is so incredibly lucrative, uh, it's making around one hundred and sixty billion dollars a year, it can spend billions of dollars on these deals. And essentially, uh, because it has this monopoly position, the government is alleging that it can take these monopoly profits, share them with other companies in exchange for promises to help maintaining its monopoly. And this is sort of an endless cycle. And yesterday, during the opening statements in the trial, the government described this arrangement as a powerful strategic weapon. They said that, you know, Google can completely block out other competitors just because it is so dominant in
2: this area. And what are the main ways, then, that Google is trying to defend itself?
3: Google's defense is very simple, uh, simple and elegant, much like their uh, search interface. (laughs) They say uh, people like Google. Google is the best search engine, and they use it because they like it. And, uh, you know, they've prepared a little PowerPoint presentation, some of which they showed to the court yesterday, And they show that with just a few clicks, people can go and change the default search engine if they would like to. And uh, most people don't do that because they love Google and they want to use Google because Google is a superior product. So that's their
2: defense. Well, we did invite Google to join the conversation, but we did not hear back. But tell us, Sheila, how easy is it? I mean, are they right that it is easy to use another search engine other than Google on devices? Well, it depends what device you're using,
3: but all of them have uh, settings that you can go and access to change to the default search engine, or you can go to the App Store and download another search engine onto your device. Um, however, you know, there have been studies of this, and most people don't do it. it people are just used to complete ease and availability on their tech devices. The tech companies design their products to be frictionless, to use their word. They want it to just be completely and easy and automatic. So the majority of people just don't go to the trouble to make the change. And the government is arguing that that is enough of a disincentive uh, that leads to the perpetuation of this position of dominance that Google has.
2: Hmm. We're talking with New Yorker staff writer Sheila Kolhatkar, whose piece, The Real Stakes in the Google Anti- Trust trial can be found in the New Yorker. Sheila, you reminded us in that piece that the last time the government accused a major tech power of illegal monopolistic behavior was in 1998 when it went after Microsoft. Can you just, in broad strokes, remind us what happened in that case?
3: That was that. There are a lot of parallels to that time with the with the case we're seeing now. So uh, this this case occurred in the 1990s. And that was a time of what they quaintly called the browser wars when uh, new internet browsers were being released. And um, Netscape was one particular popular one that had been released by a company called Mosaic. And Microsoft had its own version, Internet Explorer, and people were just starting to get Wi-Fi in their homes all over the place. And Microsoft, which had uh, you know created a dominant operating system at the time, Windows, was trying to ensure that their browser would be you know, sort of pre-installed on all computers that people got in their homes. So they made similar kinds of arrangements. A lot of people have compared these the deals that Microsoft was making at the time with computer makers, for example, to some of the deals that Google has made with the makers of iPhones. Now, it does seem that Microsoft was perhaps going a little farther in some of its deals. And some of the deals were more coercive. They required that, um, you know, companies make promises not to, you know, allow Netscape onto their devices. They they were accused of threatening companies if they, you know, they made it possible for Netscape to access their users. And this very famous quote came up during the trial where a Microsoft executive uh, was Alleged to have made a comment in a in a message to a colleague saying we're going to cut off Netscape's air supply, (laughs) very aggressive corporate Mm. speak there. So that was considered a sort of damning quote, and um, Microsoft ended up losing that trial. The judge in that case ordered that the company be broken up, and then of course there was an appeal, and they ended up settling the case, and uh, you know some of the more drastic charges were were thrown out, but Microsoft did have to agree to make a lot of changes to the way it was behaving to make. Uh, the playing field for other browser makers a little more even.
2: Hmm. And I think you also note that ironically, the Microsoft ruling may have led to the Google case in what way?
3: Well, it's so interesting because at the time that was happening, I mean, I think the, um, the initial ruling in that case uh, happened in 1998, came in 1998 or, you know, a little later. That was right around the time when uh, Larry Page and Sergey Brin were founding Google. And you know it is ironic because you know, there's, it's very easy to imagine a scenario where if Microsoft had won that, that antitrust case, they had not been forced to allow other browsers access uh, to Windows devices. And it would have been impossible for Google to obtain a foothold in the market. Mm-hmm. But because they were not permitted to maintain that mon- monopoly lock on this sort of nascent area of the internet, you know, Google was allowed to grow and expand and find an audience and somewhat ironically, one might argue, you know, achieve a position of serious economic dominance and monopoly itself.
2: Well, I want to bring Bill Bear into the conversation now. Bill Bear is the former assistant attorney general in charge of the antitrust division of the U.S. Department of Justice under President Obama. Bill Bear, thanks so much for being with us.
4: I'm
5: good to be here.
2: I'd love to get your impressions of this case as well and its significance. I think you've also called it the most consequential in the last 25 years or so with regard to an antitrust case.
5: Right. I see it the way Sheila uh, so thoughtfully explained it. You have, in the government's uh, view, a company that was successful, and the antitrust laws don't penalize success. They penalize bad behavior and the government's theory of the case is by paying these billions of dollars to Apple and to others, um, uh, Google has locked itself in as as the default browser. And as uh, you two were discussing, it's a very sticky thing. Consumers don't switch. One of the most telling moments in the court yesterday was when the judge asked the lawyer well, how often do people switch? The uh, Government, the Google lawyer is making the argument: it's easy, it's easy. And and there was a hesitation on the part of Google's lawyer. He said, "Well, we really don't track that data." I find that inherently lacking in credibility. G- Google tracks everything. I think, I suspect, they didn't want to admit that basically nobody moves. And if um, if nobody moves, that creates this vicious cycle in which Google is able to both maintain and enhance its monopoly position. And that's mm. the thrust of what the government's concerned about.
2: Yeah, I'm struck by something you said right at the outset there, that it sounds like you're saying that merely having a monopoly is not illegal by itself. It's the actions you take to maintain that monopoly. Is, is that the distinction there in, in terms of what makes a monopoly legal or illegal, Bill Bear?
5: absolutely and, and and further what what a, a distinction between the microsoft case 25 years ago and this case is google went out of its way to instruct its business people not to use words that uh, uh, might suggest they were trying to illegally maintain their monopoly they set up and this is part of the government's case they set up an offline chat room where people could have private conversations that were then auto deleted within 24 hours. So we don't know what was really going on in this deleted data. And the government's contention is, you know, you were in litigation. You needed to preserve all relevant documents. And we don't know. uh, uh, We don't know uh, what you said uh, and then uh, deleted the uh, Government's lawyers said something like, they turned history off, Your Honor, so they could rewrite it here in this courtroom.
2: Hmm. So they were aware of what got Microsoft into trouble and it's interesting hearing about this 24-hour deletion process. We're talking with Bill Baer. He's a visiting fellow in governance studies at the Brookings Institution and a former top antitrust official at the Justice Department under the Obama administration. We also have Sheila Kolhatkar with us, a New Yorker staff writer who writes about Wall Street, Silicon Valley, economics, and politics. And we have you, our listeners, tell us what questions do you have about the Google antitrust trial? Do you support the lawsuit against Google? Are you concerned about Google's monopoly in search? Have you tried using search engines? other than google what's been your experience email forum at kqed.org find us on our social channels at kqed forum give us a call 866-733-6786 866-733-6786 more after the break i'm mina kim Welcome back to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. U.S. v. Google is being called the most consequential antitrust lawsuit the government has brought since 1998, when it and 20 states sued Microsoft for trying to maintain its monopoly. At the time, Google was in its infancy, and now it's the one in the hot seat, accused of illegally stifling its search engine competitors to the detriment of every computer and mobile device user in the country. We're taking a closer look at this case with my guest Sheila Kohotkar, a New Yorker staff writer who covers Silicon Valley, Bill Baer, former former director of the Bureau of Competition at the Federal Trade Commission, former assistant attorney general of the Antitrust Division at the U.S. Department of Justice. You, our listeners, are joining the conversation. What questions do you have about the Google antitrust case? Do you support the lawsuit against Google? Are you concerned about Google's monopoly in search? Or do you agree with Google that it's dominant because it's a superior search engine? You can email your thoughts To forum at kqed.org, call us at 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786, or by posting at kqedforum, which is where you will find our social channels. A couple of listeners are already weighing in. This listener writes, why did it take so long for a lawsuit like this to come up? Google has been the dominant search engine for years, and for much of my life, it's felt like the default. Sheila, any thoughts on why it's taken so long? This is an
3: excellent question. Uh, I will say that Google currently is one of the most heavily investigated companies in the world. Uh, There have been a number of Federal Trade Commission investigations of the case. There are several other antitrust cases in different stages brought by the DOJ, brought by attorneys general of different states, and they've been investigated heavily in Europe, where they've been required to pay billions of dollars in fines. But uh, the simple answer is that Google spends a tremendous amount of money on lobbying and political outreach. I think that a lot of lawmakers were uh, having trouble catching up to this technology, and of course, the tech companies were well aware of this. The Obama administration, um, you know, for for all the good that it did in certain areas, it had a lot of very close ties to Google and other big tech firms, which at that time were viewed uh, potentially as forces for good. Google had this tagline, "Don't be evil," which you know now can be looked upon with some irony. So, so uh, a, a big part of it, frankly, is just uh, what you call regulatory and political capture. They, they have had a tremendous amount of influence in Washington. And one thing that is happening now that was not so much actually the case during the Microsoft antitrust era in the late nineties is that public sentiment has turned in many ways against google and the other big tech platform companies a lot of people from different parts of the political spectrum are angry at these companies (laughs) feel suspicious of them uh they still use them uh, all you know every day but you know the the public sentiment has shifted in favor of antitrust enforcement and so finally the people bringing these cases have a little bit of the public sentiment at their backs. And that was not necessarily the case even a few years ago.
2: Well, this is not Discord, writes. I hope they break it up. This is more like AT&T than Microsoft. They become so corrupt. But another listener, Elizabeth, writes, my opinion is that unless you are not familiar with the Internet, you do know how to choose which browser you use. It is, in fact, very easy to do. I do use Google, but it's not my preferred browser anymore. This is only because I needed more security. I have worked at two Internet provider companies that no longer exist, Magellan and Excite. So perhaps I just was familiar enough to know that I had a choice. Well, Bill Bear, I want to dig into the government's case a little bit more. Can you just help us understand some of the biggest challenges the government faces or what the government needs to show to prove its case that Google built an illegal il- monopoly? First, how do you build a case showing that kind of intent? It, one of the things you said was, you know, the kinds of language or discussions that they use, but what other things do you need to show?
5: Well, first... um. The There is, and um, some of the testimony yesterday revealed that Google very consciously uh, sought to obtain a monopoly, sought to disadvantage other rivals, uh, but, uh, but over time became very careful about the language they used, uh, sent emails where they copied an attorney, even though the discussion really wasn't seeking legal advice. And that's part of the the government's concern but there really are some interesting aspects to this kind of a case this is a platform that google provides service to consumers they don't charge consumers dollars and cents right it's free in terms of in a monetary sense but it's costly in terms of our data every time we search on google we're providing Information to Google that it then monetizes. It basically goes to advertisers and says, you know, we can target an audience. We can do a zip code. We can, you know, provide information about where I shop, what I'm doing, uh, that sort of stuff. So there really is a lot of personal data that Google uniquely, because it's dominant, has to sell advertisers. And part of the government's case is advertisers, because Google's the only game in town have to uh, buy ads on Google search in order to reach consumers. And that the government says they're paying more. Those advertisers are paying more as a result of Google's monopoly power.
2: So that's interesting. So the government has to show that the monopoly is harming consumers. And that harm, you say, is through the fact that Ultimately, consumers are paying more because Google has such the ability to set prices for advertisers and so on, which then could also just lend itself to things being more costly across the board.
5: Exactly, that's well that's well stated. But uh, in a in addition, the, um, the the government's concern is looking down the road as we go to iterative uh, AI and these more sophisticated. Uh, devices like chat, GPT, Google has so much information about each of us. And the more people use it, the more they search, the more information Google has. And it's unique in that ability. So it potentially has a huge leg up uh, in terms of uh, dealing with these uh, uh, the AI, the iterative AI devices that are just now becoming very popular. So part of the government's concern is the past is horrible, and the future is going to be horrific.
2: Interesting. So, so Sheila, can you say a little bit more about that? The government contends that there are basically three groups being harmed besides consumers. The others are the rivals, right, who I'm sure some of them are itching to get into AI, and another is advertisers. Can you just talk a little bit about the case that they're making there and how Google is responding to those allegations?
3: Yeah, sure. Now, I, I would I would just add on to what Bill just said Um You know, Google, a lot of people have been complaining in recent years that Google is demonstrating some of the stereotypical behaviors of a monopolist. The a lot, you know, there's just been a lot of general consumer grumbling about the quality of the Google searches. Uh, You know, it used to be much more targeted to what a person was looking for. There are many, many more ads and many more blocks of sponsored content now on the top. Of the page when you search and it's sometimes hard to tell what's an ad and what is actual real search content and these are all bad for consumers as well i mean i think there'll be some argument just about the quality of the service google is providing because once once you reach a position where no one can really challenge you the incentive to provide the best possible product to your consumer declines so google is perhaps you know seen by some as just phoning it in in that regard um You know, regarding generative AI, uh, Bill makes an excellent point. I mean, you know, one of the challenges of some of these antitrust cases recently is that, you know, they're they're confronting a lot of judges, a general court system that was trained on this idea of antitrust as consumer harm, and that if prices are not increasing, a consumer is not being harmed, and therefore there's no antitrust violation. Now, a lot of people agree that that view of antitrust is antiquated and is not, uh, you know, appropriate to the economy we live in now, to the digital tech economy, which in fact offers a lot of products for free because uh, what's really being sold is the consumer's attention and there, you know, there's no money being exchanged necessarily, but the cost to the consumer is very high in terms of their attention being consumed and, you know, their their buying behavior being directed through these ads. So the government's going to be asking, Uh, the court to look a little bit into the future and think about what might happen down the road. And yes, generative AI is a perfectly good example. This is a transformative technology. It's in its early stages. And, uh, you know, the question is, do we want a tiny handful of companies, of which Google is one of the largest, to control the way that technology is disseminated and commercialized? And if Google is allowed to be a gatekeeper, remain its position as an exclusive gatekeeper to the internet, then it will largely decide what kind of AI will be in our search technology. And that is going to have a huge impact that frankly, you know, many of us probably can't even imagine right now. But it's important. Yeah. It's important hmm. for the, you know, the judge and the people deciding this case to think about that.
2: Do you want to just say a few words quickly about the judge, who the judge is in this case, and the format of the trial, because I understand there's no jury? Sheila? Yeah, well, from Bill, do you want to go ahead or you?: Sure
5: Sure, I'll, yeah. I, I can take that. I know the
3: judge..
5: Yeah, yeah. Judge Judge John is an experienced judge been on the bench about 12 or 14 years. He's handled antitrust cases before. he's um, known as smart. As focused, uh, and he he doesn't uh, he doesn't give away his his leanings. So uh, he listens. He asks questions. Uh, he's a tough guy. Now there's no jury because all the government is seeking is an injunction. So there's no right to have a jury hear the case. And it's important to note too that this is really a two phase trial. What's going on right now is did Google violate the antitrust laws? Did it behave inappropriately as a monopolist? If the judge finds that Google did in fact violate the antitrust laws, then there'll be a second phase. So how do we remedy it? What do we do? Do we impose conduct restrictions? On Google, for example, they can't uh, pay to be the uh, uh, the default surgeon anymore, or is is the behavior so caught up in their dominant status that we need to find some way to break it up? But that series of questions really go to the remedy phase, and you don't get there unless and until Judge Meta uh, says there's a problem. These guys violated the antitrust laws. Hmm.
2: Let me go to caller Rob in San Francisco. Rob, you're on.
1: Thank you. Um... First of all, I I kind of detest monopolies because I think they just squash innovation. They The consumer is always the one that loses. Things get more expensive. We have less innovation, fewer new products. Um, but I'm going to contradict myself and say that, like Microsoft said a long time ago, we can't – the consumer and most people don't want to see, you know – 10 different operating systems for computers because it would be a mess for us as people to try to have to learn all these and things wouldn't be cross-compatible and it would just be a huge mess. So it kind of makes sense for companies like there's Microsoft and there's Apple for operating systems on computers other than uh, the little smaller ones. And that keeps things sane. The same could be said for Google Now, they have a search engine that I think used to work better than it does now. There seems like there's a lot of more garbage results than there used to be. But they stitch together a pretty cohesive package of search. They have Google Maps. They have Chrome. They have a lot of things that integrate your smartphone with your computer and a lot of other things that we all use all the time. And to learn a whole bunch of different things that have to all interact and work together properly is is always kind of too much. So I get the idea that we should kind of have one platform that just works, except for the fact that it creates this huge uh, temptation to abuse that monopoly, and I think that's what's going on. And I think it needs to be regulated in some form. I like the idea of you know consistency throughout the ecosphere and just having like a one-stop shop that everything just works together, kind of like light, why people like Apple so much, but. You can't have it be a monopoly in an unregulated sense. Something has to be done.
2: Hmm. Well, let me actually read Google's statement that it put out when the Justice Department first filed its lawsuit against the company. This was from Kent Walker, president of global affairs at Google and Alphabet, who writes, Our engineers work to offer the best search engine possible, constantly improving and fine-tuning it. We think that's why a wide cross-section of Americans value and often love our free products. Today's lawsuit by the Department of Justice is deeply flawed. People use Google because they choose to, not because they're forced to or because they can't find alternatives. The lawsuit would do nothing to help consumers. To the contrary, it would artificially prop up lower quality search alternatives, raise phone prices, and make it harder for people to get the search services they want to use. And we have listeners weighing in. Scott writes, Google used to be a great search engine. Now their results are really skewed. The people that pay Google some money end up climbing my search results. They're not a better engine. Another listener writes... I find Google to be an excellent search engine. I've been using it for so long, I forget there are other search engines. Your show today reminds me that I should use other search engines when I'm looking for information because they are likely to offer results that are not so prominently displayed on Google. As for the argument that Google's dominance stifles innovation, it is absolutely correct. Like so many of the world's problems, Google's actions are all about greed. Another listener writes, I use Bing instead of Google. I don't like it as a search engine. It's cluttered and not very aesthetic, and it's difficult to find what I'm actually searching for. But I still use it, partly because it has rewards and fun games. We're also getting a couple of questions here about DuckDuckGo. Um, So Scott writes, I dropped Google many years ago and installed DuckDuckGo because of their stance on privacy. My concern is that they also have to make money somehow, so they must be capitalizing off of my searches as well. Another DuckDuckGo question that we could pair with that, Lynn writes, I use DuckDuckGo. My friend who works at Google told me that it was only a privacy overlay that uses Google as its actual search engine. Is this accurate? Um, Sheila, do you want to at first actually, is that true that DuckDuckGo is an overlay to the Google search engine?
3: It's. I don't have the technical familiarity with DuckDuckGo's structure, although it is on my list of things I would like to write about because I'm very curious about all of these questions. I will say that there are many people who feel this consumer privacy question is very connected to the matter of monopoly and market dominance. Because again, uh, consumers want privacy. Most consumers would prefer not to have uh, their search engine or their browser monitoring everything they do and keeping track of what they search for and putting ads into their email inbox. However, uh, when Google or whoever is doing that does not have a competitor, they can abuse the consumer in this way and not provide the privacy uh, features that consumers would like because they have no competition. So there are many people who feel that a more competitive market would improve privacy overall because consumers would be more free to move to the, the service that is offering better privacy. Uh, so again, the trial does have the potential to address some of this. If there was a little more competitive pressure on Google, you wouldn't have to worry about this. And frankly, DuckDuckGo would also have to, you know, keep 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 closer track uh, of whether it was making its consumers happy with its privacy offerings because it would have competitors. Right now, it's the only one that is credibly offering privacy.
2: We're talking with Sheila Kohadgar, who covers Wall Street, Silicon Valley, politics, economics as a staff writer at The New Yorker, with Bill Baer, a visiting fellow in governance studies at the Brookings Institution a former topped antitrust official at the Justice Department under President Obama, former director of the Bureau of Competition at the Federal Trade Commission. And we're talking with you, our listeners, about the U.S. government's landmark antitrust lawsuit against Google. We're hearing what questions you have about the case, whether you support the lawsuit and are concerned about Google's monopoly, or whether you agree with Google that it's dominant because it's a superior search engine and you're concerned about any effects to try to uh, rein it in. Have you used or tried to use other search engines other than Google? What's been your experience? Maybe you have a business or advertise on Google or use Google Ads. You can tell us about that, too, by emailing forum at kqed.org, finding us on our social channels at KQED forum, and by calling 866-733-6786, 866-733-6786. Stay with us.
0: I'm Mina Kim.
2: You're listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. We're taking a closer look this hour at what's being called the most consequential antitrust trial in decades and what's at stake for Google and other tech companies and also for consumers. We're joined by Bill Baer and also Sheila Kohotkar. Bill Baer is a former top antitrust official at the Department of Justice. Sheila Kohotkar is a staff writer for The New Yorker, uh, whose recent piece for The New Yorker is called The Real Stakes of the Google Antitrust trial. You our listeners are joining the conversation. Let me go to more of your
6: calls. Helena in Fremont. What's your question? Hi, thank you. Yeah. So my question is that what is the definition about the technology market share monopoly? Obviously over ninety percent is like a we we all agree it's a monopoly. However, is there any clear definition at all? Above this percentage, that will be definitely monopoly because it's a changing world. Each industry may also have some different criteria. So that's my question.
2: Bill Bear, what do you think? Is there a set definition of what constitutes a monopoly in tech market share?
5: Well, it's, you know, first you need to define the market. But if you have 70, 75 percent or more market share, the courts have generally ruled that, that is a monopoly. As we've discussed earlier, it doesn't mean you violated the antitrust laws. Uh, the government or private plaintiff needs to prove that there was bad conduct that was designed to enhance or maintain that monopoly.
2: And another listener writes... Uh... Well, these are actually some comments right now about people who love and don't love Google. Noel on Discord writes, startpage.com works just fine in terms of as a search engine. Another listener writes, as a computer nerd and not even a Google fanboy, I've repeatedly tried other search engines throughout the years, and Google is clearly the superior product. The day they came out with their minimalistic approach to Yahoo without all the weather and news on the homepage that made it faster and easier to get where you need to be, they One, Mihir writes, Google search is just a flat-out better product. It's not a monopoly because Microsoft tried many times in browser and search with Bing and Edge, and we know the results. So is it Google's fault that their technology is better? So, Bill, you and Sheila have both touched on this earlier, but that essentially you're saying that what will happen in this trial in terms of an outcome may well affect other pending legal challenges. Can you just remind us of some of the legal challenges that are going on right now, both in Google and with other tech companies, or even ones that they're contemplating with other tech companies that you think should be on our radar? And Bill, if you want to mention a couple.
5: Sure. Well, first of all, Google has another case brought by the Justice Department and State Attorneys General pending in the Northern District of Virginia relating to its alleged alleged monopolization of the ad tech business. So in order to place an ad on on Google search, you basically need, according to the Justice Department, to use Google's ad tech, even though there are other uh, people that can help you target the ads the way you want. So there's that case pending. That'll go to trial in a few months. Um, There is a case against Facebook, uh, uh, Meta, uh, for alleged monopolization of of that marketplace, particularly in relation to its uh, acquisitions of uh, Instagram and LinkedIn, who were potentially competitors of Facebook, but they're now all part of the Facebook family. It's rumored, finally, that um, the Federal Trade Commission is close to bringing a case against Amazon, challenging its domination of online shopping. So those are the things that are out there and uh uh and they all are in a sense related to this uh online platform where the platform is offering a free service to consumers but making its money on the other side by using the data that consumers provide to help advertisers and retailers market on the platform.
2: So, Bill, are we in a new era of antitrust enforcement by the government, given some of the things that you are describing, um, that they are concerned about?
5: The answer is yes. It's, you know, when the Sherman Antitrust Act was passed in 1890, no one was thinking about online, two-sided platforms, right? Um, and so the antitrust laws are are very general and, and vague and the challenge for enforcers and the courts is to figure out how to apply that general language uh, prohibiting uh, anti-monopoly conduct to a whole different 21st century high-tech environment. So it's a challenge and this case will be the first case involving the government to really take on that issue. And so the precedent will be important in terms of other online uh, dominant providers.
2: Well, we do hear a lot, Bill, that a lot of questions about whether that antitrust law that you're talking about, right, it really is the best tool to try to crack down on this kind of behavior. And I guess you're saying we'll have to wait and see.
5: Right. It's it's interesting. Uh, Europe, uh, both the UK and the European Union, have decided to pass laws that uh, set out rules of the road uh, that are prospective. Say, look, if you want to be an online platform, here's certain things you need to do. Here are some privacy rules. Here are uh, some rules prohibiting you from favoring your own products over others. And uh, that's the form uh, that other competition authorities, other legislatures have, have undertaken. Here in the US, there were bills pending in the last Congress, uh, got out of committee in both the House and the Senate, but never made it to a floor vote. And there doesn't seem to be a lot of momentum for legislative solutions. So right now, the uh, uh, the only court in which the sport is being played is
6: uh, is the federal courts. Hmm.
2: Let me go to caller Nomi in San Francisco. Hi, Nomi, you're on.
6: Hi, thank you for taking my call. I, I'm a, a consumer who's very conscientious about my privacy but i but i also have given up the idea the notion of privacy however mm. i i have used firefox and bing and um duckduckgo and i do notice that google performs better and i think inherently because it is a monopoly because i i find that as a consumer i almost don't have a option not to use google because it's controlling my gmail it's controlling uh, a different apps that I have to use for work or different softwares. So even though it gives the impression that it's a dominant and a better, a better um, product, I think the, the the reason that it is is because it's inherently a monopolizer. Hmm. Um, and I'll take my comment up there.
2: Well, no, me, thanks. And And essentially, as you were pointing out, Sheila, earlier, that is what the government's case is and why they called Google's, process a powerful strategic weapon right
3: yeah no that's absolutely correct i would say um, one thing that our caller is referring to is this concept of network effects which people in tech world talk about a lot Uh, and this basically means that a value of a product or service increases as the number of people using it increases and that is true of social networks you know if all of your friends are on facebook that's where you want to be. So you will be on Facebook too. So Facebook becomes more valuable as more people use it and it becomes a self-reinforcing cycle. And that's exactly what happens with search. Search gets smarter uh, as it is used more. And of course, the government is using the network effect argument to say that you know, this creates a position where Google really can insulate itself from competition and it becomes a cycle where it monopolistically gathers billions in profits, and then can use those profits very explicitly to enhance its position and maintain its monopoly. So it's hard to see how that cycle would be interrupted or broken without some drastic outside force, be it an antitrust trial decision or, as Bill mentioned, a congressional move of some kind uh, coming and, you know,
6: mixing
2: things up a little bit. Well, Jeff writes, kicking the Google habit is not easy, given that so many websites these days will only work with Google's Chrome browser. My browser of choice is Firefox, but I find I often have to switch to Chrome to get a site to work. Sheila, can I ask you about something else we haven't talked about yet, which is Google's argument that the search market is much bigger than the government contends, that that the government should consider the many ways that people now find information online using Amazon or TikTok or Expedia or Reddit and so on. That is true on that some is. level. If
3: I want to, yeah, I mean, if I want to learn about books, I could go to the Barnes and Noble website or the Amazon website and search, you know, mystery books. Uh, I think it's going to be interesting to see how this argument is played out during the trial because I imagine there'll be a lot of expert witness testimony about this exact question. Because yes, if you want to search travel, you could go to Expedia and look up, you know, trips to Hawaii, and they'll offer you all sorts of content. Uh, I could imagine a government expert witness saying, well, Google is one of the only places that is gathering this kind of information from such a wide variety of sources that makes it somewhat unique. But yes, how you define the market is always critical in a case like this. And you could make an argument either way. It's going to be interesting to see.
2: Well, we are talking with Sheila Kulhotkar of The New Yorker, and Bill Baer a Visiting Felon Governance Studies at the Brookings Institution. And you, our listeners, are weighing in with your thoughts. A listener on Discord writes, I like using Ecosia. Every time I make a search, it goes towards planting trees. They've even planted ponderosa pine and douglas fir trees in Northern California after wildfires have occurred Another listener, Kevin, writes, For Search, I mainly use DuckDuckGo. Sometimes I don't find what I want and try Google. I'm often surprised at how much worse Google results are, so I dispute Google's claim that people use their search because it is better. Google also discourages other companies from developing better search options, and there are technical things Google could do to improve search. But if search was better, they would sell fewer ads. A better user experience would hurt their profit, so they have a reason to avoid building better search. And let me go to Nate in Oakland. Hi, Nate, you're on.
1: Hey, uh, thanks for
5: taking my call, I guess. There's definitely uh, monopolization with Google, and I do want to kind of separate Google from Facebook and some other tech companies.
1: But Google is almost a utility at this point. Like, people need it to operate every day. I'm wondering, why is Google being targeted for monopolization when
5: other utilities like PG&E, for instance, is
2: a monopoly that allow PG? Mm. Nate, your phone line is breaking up, but I think I got the crux of your question. Bill would love to get your reaction to Nate's point that Google is more like a utility at this point.
5: Yes, but unlike PG and E, it's an unregulated utility. It's it's pervasive, and there are no controls over what it does. Uh, and an issue is: do we want to regulate them? Uh, have a commission that oversees them? Or do we want to force them to stop engaging in behaviors that the government says precludes competition? We we in the U.S. prefer competitive marketplaces over regulated marketplaces. Sometimes, uh, as the caller suggests, um, uh, you need to regulate in order to prevent abuse of consumers or uh, or, or others. So it's uh, uh, what the government's trying to do here is to open this market up open up at the market for search so that other competitors can actually compete to offer better terms to consumers and better terms to those who want to advertise on a search engine.
2: Talking about the Google antitrust trial and you are listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim. This listener writes, one of the problems I have with Google is that it is the default system for Android, which seems quite monopolistic. It seems that this case could have parallels with the breakup of AT&T, where the basic infrastructure was made available to different companies. You mentioned that as a possibility, Bill, uh as in the remedies phase of this trial, if we get to it, as you noted. But any thoughts about uh, parallels with the breakup of AT and T? What is the likelihood you think that we could see something, if it goes to the remedy phase of that degree?
5: Well, as your caller correctly notes, the one of the biggest success for competition policy in the U.S. was in the '80s when AT was broken up. A bunch of regional Bell companies were set up to provide local service, and we had for the first time. Um, uh, long distance competition and that been enabled as we move to cell phones, uh, uh you know, the internet, it basically provided a truly competitive market for for consumers. It's hard to say what the right remedy here is until we know whether Judge Meta finds that there was an antitrust violation. But it may well be if he finds that Google pervasively misbehaved in maintaining its monopoly, that separating Google out into various component parts, in addition to uh, uh, limiting what it can do with regard to paying billions to be the default search engine, uh, is among the remedies that could be on the table.
2: Well, Andrew writes, this issue is deeply intertwined with data ownership, rights. Google Search is the best performing search engine in part because they have so much of our personal search history in their databases and can use that data to personalize search results. If we owned our own data, we might be able to export our data from Google and plug it into another platform to close that performance gap. We made email services interoperable, so why can't we make search services interoperable? Too. Not sure if you have a uh, a thought on that comment by Andrew, Sheila.
3: Well, again, I think that's a very interesting question, and in terms of thinking broadly about how this market could be improved for consumers, that is an important thing to consider. Um, but again, until a company like you know, this is a capitalist uh, system, and they're they're driven to maximize their profits, and until they are really forced to. You know, do something that could harm their profits, such as given, giving their users control over their own data, they're not going to, you know, probably voluntarily do it. They're going to have to be forced or pressured to do that. So, um, you know, that, that could be an element of a potential a creative legal remedy in, in a case like this. You know, uh, whether, whether Judge Mehta would, would think that creatively about this, I don't know, or whether the government will ask for that. But that, again, is also something Congress could tackle if Congress were more functional and responsive to voter demands. Um, Yeah. You know, Congress could choose to to implement rules. Go ahead, Bill. Uh,
5: Can I add quickly to that? There's there's precedent for uh, this ownership question that your caller uh, raises in 2003, the Federal Communications Commission pursuant to legislation, decreed that we own our cell phone and landline numbers, not the not the telephone company. And that opened up opportunities for us to switch uh, from uh, various providers. It forced providers to compete on price and quality. And so this whole issue of who owns our data, can we extract it and move it over to another site is a huge part of making this marketplace more competitive than it appears to be today.
2: Yeah. Well, this is slated to be a 10-week trial. And we are running out of time. But really quick, Bill, I'm just so curious. Between the government and Google, who do you think has the steeper hill to climb? Who do you think has the tougher argument to make?
5: Well, on the one hand, government always has the burden of proof. And so uh, that that creates a, a steep incline for the government. On the other hand, they're dealing with somebody who has over 90% of general search and over 95% of search on mobile devices. So they are dealing with a monopolist. So it will, will, time will tell, but um, each side has something going for it.
2: Right. And the question as you point out, is not whether is whether or not they gain that monopoly through illegal means illegal agreements and so on um, because Scott is again asking if a company creates a great product and gets 100% of the market due to its superior product is this illegal and essentially what you were pointing out earlier is it's illegal if they used illegal means to get that market right. share Bill Baer thank you so much for talking with us
5: you're welcome
2: really glad to have Bill Bear's expertise a former top antitrust official in the DOJ under President Obama Sheila Kohatkar of the New Yorker also so glad to have you on as well Thank you for your reporting. Thank you also to Susie Britton and Enzal for producing today's segment. And thank you, listeners, as always. You've been listening to Forum. I'm Mina Kim.
0: Funds for the production of KQED's Forum are provided by the John S. and James L. Knight Foundation, the Generosity Foundation, the Germanicos Foundation, the Heising Simons Foundation, and the Bernard Osher Foundation, supporting higher education and the arts. Support for Forum comes from San Francisco Opera.